Welcome to Jammin' and Jammies. I'm Megan Barker. We are sitting down with some of our favorite songwriters and music industry folks, veterans, whatever you want to call them. And we're finding out how they got where they are and they're going to share valuable insights into the music world. You can watch the interviews online or tune into the podcast. So check out jamminandjammies.com for details on everything. Today, we are sitting down with Kim McLean. She's the jammy veteran at this point. Kim has had over 400 songs recorded, won a Dove Award for Gospel Song of the Year, ASCAP and NSAI Awards, and is Grammy and Juno nominated. Artists like Tim McGraw, Trisha Yearwood, and Leanne Womack have recorded her song. So we we obviously have a lot of questions and a lot of stuff to talk about. Let's welcome her. Kim, how are you doing? I'm good, Megan. How are you? I'm great. I feel winded after reading your intro. <laughs> There's okay. a lot to talk about. Um, do you want to just start by telling everyone where you're from and how you got into music? Oh, gosh. Well, that's a very broad question. Uh, but sure, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. And there are, there are several of us in town. Uh, Mark Germino, I don't know if you know who that is. He's uh, from Greensboro, North Carolina, and moved here just uh, not long before I did. So we kind of came up. And I think, uh, is it Bob Dylan from North Carolina? So I've got Emily Harris, that area. Yeah. So, um, so I've got some good um, camaraderie there with, with where I'm from. Greensboro is kind of in the center. It's about two hours from the capital of North Carolina, which is Raleigh. Um, I always knew that I was going to be in music. I, I mean, by the time I was 10 years old, I, you know, I wanted to grow up and be a music something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, studied. I have a, a lot of background. I knew from this, from really from five years old, I started playing piano. Um, I was a piano player first, um, studied music theory, studied classical music all up through grade school and high school. And picked up guitar when I was 13. At 14, I remember specifically praying a prayer. Um, <laughs> I was I, I was, literally, I was blow drying my hair one day, 14 years old, and, uh, and I just, the thought came to me, pray for the gift of songwriting. And I, you know, uh, seriously, you know, and so I, I did. I went to, I put down the hair dryer because I was, at that age, I thought, well, when you pray, you have to be on your knees by your bed, like mom showed you. <laughs> uh, stopped what I was doing, went to my room, got on my knees and said, dear Lord, please make me a great songwriter. Please give me the gift of songwriting. And then about six months later, it was a while, uh, I wrote my first song. And it, it that's how I remember it. Uh, you know, I'm a lot older now, so I've probably forgotten some details, but that's kind of the way I remember that. And um, it was very specific to me, and I uh, wrote a song that was a very judgmental Christian song that I would never write today. <laughs> been through so much life since, and so then from one thing to another. By the time I was in my twenties, I was married with two little girls and had started writing songs. I just continued to write songs. They started flooding in. Um, went through kind of a dark night of the soul and left the church and left all of Christianity, all the stuff and started writing country music then, um, and then moved to, everyone said, you need to move to Nashville, these songs are great. And so my husband, my two daughters, and my collie dog and I uh, loaded up the truck and we moved to Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, I shopped a publishing deal, uh, started shopping a deal immediately, I was signed a month, one month later. So it You're was, kidding. It was a really unusual story. 
I came here with a, a hundred songs kind of in my back pocket, as we say. Uh, most of them were country songs, but ironically, I was still writing some Christian songs because I was grappling with my faith. Sure. I've always been real, a very, um, I just, I love uh, Christian faith. And so I've always kind of had this heart that yearns for God. And so even in that dark time, I was writing these questioning songs and, um, and so my publisher, my first publisher was Little Big Town, uh, was an indie upstart. And my dream was to write for them because I met, I had one of the first public, the first publisher I ever met with was Woody Bomar, who uh, ended up being, uh, he, he left Combine Music where I met him. And I wanted to sign with Combine because Dolly Parton was signed there. And my last name at the time was Patton. And so I thought, well, if I sign with Combine, uh, my name will show up on the roster right after Dolly Parton. <laughs> that, was, that was a big dream. It was crazy when I later ended up getting to sing with her on a song that I wrote, which was a really cool thing. Kind of came full circle. But, but I, Woody left, started Little Big Town, signed me as a developing writer, and that was my first publishing deal. So he was my first publisher, and he's the one who got me writing Christian music again because I would put these things in my country songs that hinted at this faith thing, and I would say, "No, I don't want anything to do with all of that," you know, and you know how we get. Yeah. And he said, "No, just come to my church. I want you to come to my church. I want you to sing uh, for at church." And so I wrote a song for the occasion, and boom, we had a Christian branch of Little Big Town, and I was yeah. kind of the gospel writer. So uh, I've gone neck and neck with country and Christian music my entire career. I've dabbled a little bit in soul R&B, and um, that's that's kind of how the whole thing started. I just feel like I was born with this desire to write, not not even to perform. I love to perform, but I sing because I write, and I've always known that, and I've always I just stay true to that, you know. Well, I'd love to know what, going back a little bit, what inspired you to put the hair dryer down in that moment? What what had you been listening to? Were, it just came out of nowhere? Do you think it was like a higher power speaking to you? If you, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, what was that? I don't mind you asking. I, I honestly, to this day, I, yes, I believe it was a higher power speaking to me. And my faith has come come around in such a way that is is very profound and, and very much a part of my life um, and uh, wonderful moment that must have been it, it was it was it was it was a one of those moments the closest you come to hearing the audible voice you know yeah. um, I do think I, I can say that there was a setup for it uh, um, it was a very mystical experience for me um, it was it, it felt like a call it felt like a calling it, it felt like an ordained moment. Yeah. Uh, but my grandmother was Sarah Van McCoy, McKinney, McAdams, McLean. <laughs> Sarah uh, uh, was a songwriter and she wrote, she would pitch her songs to the Lawrence Welk song, the show. Yeah. And she wrote a song for the soldiers coming home from World War II because um, my father was born in uh, 1941 and my grandmother, he was a baby, and she was rocking him in her arms and writing a song at the same time. She was a great, great, great piano player. So she taught me to play. I could, She could play Chopin on the piano, so she taught me to play Chopin 
she taught me to play the boogie woogie and then she called what a friend we have in jesus so it was like wow all over the place yeah so i had that i had that background i had that thought that there are songwriters because you know you don't really think about i mean maybe more so today but and i think i had seen something on a on a talk show where um burt bacharach and carol uh bayer sager were talking i know it was sometime around then so i don't know if that was before the white light or after the white light but it was they were talking about writing songs i thought you could totally do that for a living you know and then someone after that then i got a hold of a john denver my dad bought a john denver record because there's music playing in our house all the time dad listened to country mom listened to christian so i was kind of destined on this and and i got a john denver songbook and learned to play guitar so everything was in the key of e for the longest time (laughs) (laughs) and then later i studied classical guitar so i learned all the notes and all the playing them bach on the guitar is a really funny experience but (laughs) but it's um that it all swirled around in that time i think that you know, I'm, I I really believe that I didn't find music, music found me. And I still feel that way about the songs. I feel that the songs c- call me to them. You know, the songs call me into their their stratosphere. Yeah. And I go, I go get them and I come back with them, you know. It just has always felt that way to me. Yeah. And I've had some publishers who have been very kind to me to understand that spirituality of songwriting and they knew that that's what i needed if they were going to get radio hits out of me yeah. um, i remember one time i wrote for um i had a joint deal with paul worley and jody williams for a while uh and uh with through sony and uh i remember jody said to me something that really touched my heart and uh one day he said i know that you're going to write you'll write 10 songs this week and nine of them will be sort of mystical <laughs> and very arty, but one of them will be a radio hit. And he said, just keep doing that. It's because it, you won't write the radio hit if we don't let you write the others. Wow. You know, it's a really, it's a really um, beautiful thing to find a publisher who, yeah. who will let you be yourself. Um, because I, I would never have learned to write commercially. Right. I think I had a natural talent for writing commercially because of the era I grew up in. I grew up with Jangly, the monkeys and good TV commercials, you know, like I am stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid stuck on me. You know, I was, I was, and I, I was grew up with learning song form, but these, these publishers and these great co-writes, my first mentor was Mark Sanders, yeah. you know, I mean, wrote, I hope you dance. I mean, it doesn't get any, we were writing twice a week for the longest time. So I was trained by the best in the business. And I just felt like the, that God had the way carved out for me in yeah. the way that it needed to be for me. And we all have our own path. Yeah. And and you mentioned two just wonderful people in Nashville. Jody Williams is known for having a great ear for great songs. And Paul Worley is a dream producer for so many females in this town. I mean, yeah two great mentors right there and Woody Bomar. I mean, you've mentioned so many great people. You really were surrounded by positivity and wonderful people from the minute you got here, it sounds like. So it does sound like it was meant to be. It, it does seem like that, you know, there's a, 
I refer to God in, on very intimate terms, but uh, God is very personal to me. But there, there are a lot of people talk about how the universe, if you do the thing that you're supposed to be doing, the universe works with you in that. And, and that's, uh, that's God, been like God, the universe. I mean, whatever you believe, I, I think there's something guiding all of us. So that's yeah. very powerful stuff. Um, can you take us into your first hit? What was your first hit or your first cut? My first cut, well, I had, uh, my first cut was a Christian cut, uh, even though I had moved here to write gospel, I mean, write country. Uh, and my second cut was a country cut, both major label, uh, almost simultaneously. They happened within six months of each other, within the first year, no, let's see, within the first year and a half of my moving here. I bet your family was like, we should have moved here way sooner. This is great. Yeah, well, the money doesn't roll in as fast. I think it sure. felt better to me than them, <laughs> but, but it's but it still it still mattered. And I my hit, you know, I've had all of these cuts. I've had a lot of singles. I've had a few hits. Uh, they're not household name kind of hits, and that's that's kind of okay. You know, it's it's however it happens. You're grateful for what it is, um, and I've lived the path that I love. But the first Christian. Um, the first cut that I got major label was on Word Records uh, by someone named Terry Gibb, mm -hmm. and she was blind, um, and had she had been a country artist, and she had this mega hit number, I guess it was number one, I don't know, called Somebody's Knocking, and she uh, took a Christian deal after that, and I wrote a song that was on her first Christian record. Um, and it was called Holy Fire Burning, I think. I, I, I think that was <laughs> the one. <laughs> Written a song since then. <laughs> and uh, that was that was the last, uh, that cut happened on one of the last vinyl records. They stopped making vinyl records like a couple of years after that. And uh -huh. there's vinyls back in now. So that's how long I've been in town. The next cut happened by an amazing group who I'm now friends with the lead singer, Jennifer McCarter. Um, Jennifer McCarter and the McCarters were on Warner Brothers. They were a big hair act in the 80s. And they were good friends. They're from the same hometown as, as Dolly Parton. And they're good friends with her. And uh, Jennifer McCarter and the McCarters, uh, was Jennifer and her twin sisters, they had a big hit called The Gift. My song on that record did not get singled. Um, but it was called Mountain Memories. And the cool thing about that cut was that that showed, I was writing for Woody Bomar at the time, and Veronica, no, my dog is scratching on the door. <laughs> Your dog's name is Veronica, that's so cute. She spells it in French, she's a hoity-toity dog. She's, wow. <laughs> it's really Veronique. Um, she's, uh, she's a sweet girl. Um, she's a collie, I've stuck with the collie theme my whole life. Aww. But uh, Jennifer and and her sisters, Teresa and Lisa, um, I loved their voices. It was mountain in front, because it was from, uh, they were from Sevierville, mm -hmm. uh, but just across the North Carolina border into Tennessee. And so I used to go to Asheville all the time and, you know, hike in the mountains and chimney tops and uh, there's a beautiful hiking trail there. So I love the Smoky Mountains. So I was sitting down to write one day uh, and Woody came to the, the writing room on 18th Avenue there. There's a little round window where we'd sit up in this. It looked like it used to be an attic. I was sitting in there. Woody 
comes in and he says, hey, I just got a lead on, uh, there's a group called the McCarters. They're new on Warner Brothers. They're making their first record. They're from your area. So write them a song. Just describe your area. And, and what, my dog is, <laughs> it's okay. she's throwing her ball around. <laughs> she's hungry. I think she's Snoopy. Um, anyway, she, uh, so he says, write a song about the, the area where you're from, what it's like, and, and I bet you I can get it cut. So I did, I just started into this thing. It, it was like, uh, uh, I did this, uh, it was like, uh, I didn't even have an idea for it. I just thought, okay, I'm gonna finger pick, like the music I love, like the, the John Denver ballads. Let's go running barefoot through the tender grassy fields and let our minds go running back in time. And that's all I had. <laughs> and I just, it just kind of flowed out like, I don't know, what would I write about? What do I see when I think about home? And so it ended up being a whole song called Mountain Memories and they loved it. Um, and I, it, it, like I said, it didn't get to be singled, but it was one of their favorite songs. And uh, so Jennifer and I became friends about, um, I don't know, five years ago. After all this time, we had not known each other, not really met, but we knew some mutual friends. And it was so sweet because when you write a song for an artist and they have to sing it, well, the songwriter goes on. Yeah. As you we go on. We're like, well, what's the next song? What's the next? We're like always looking for the, for the magic under the rock because we live for that. Well, the artist who cuts your song has to sing it again and again and again. And the songwriter would get, sometimes we're guilty of being, getting a little bored singing our own songs a million times. But the artists are just so grateful for those songs and it becomes part of them even more than it does the writer. So that's really part of the writing process of that artist-writer collaboration. So when Jennifer and I met, I was looking at her like, you're the artist who sang the first country song I got cut on a major label. And she was looking at me like, you're the writer who wrote that song that knew my heart. You, you told my story. <laughs> and I was like, it was so, it's like running to one another in slow motion, you know. It was, it was really a special moment. And uh, so I got to sing that song with her on a, I was doing a hippie chick twang show like you're jamming and jammies for, for a couple of years in Nashville. And uh, we might start it up sometime after COVID again, but she came and sang for my, my hippie chick twang show. And we sang that song together. And then her husband is an amazing drummer and her son is an amazing guitar player. <laughs> so they played on my new EP that I haven't released yet. That's so exciting. Wow, it's so funny how things come back around all these years later. Yeah, it is. So, boy, one question and I talk forever. I, oh, no, these, this is what it's all about, these stories and your, your memories, you know. But um, you did mention how long you've been in Nashville now. What are some of the changes you've seen in the industry? Oh, great question, Megan. Um, changes in the industry. Well, uh, one of the ones that has affected me, well, I've watched, I've watched music row. Yeah. It's like, if you could, you know how they do, um, 
on the Disney Channel, they'll they'll do a time lapse, or on National Geographic, they'll do a time lapse of a flower blooming. Yeah, <laughs> and it just yeah. comes about the ground. It's like this thing that took days, and you could you could sit and stare at it, and you wouldn't see it. But I feel like I crossed this plateau after being in town for about twenty years, and now it's been what twenty five or thirty. Yikes, somewhere between there, 20, uh, I don't know. Let's say 25, it makes me feel younger. Um, but it's like, I, in my mind, the memories go by like a time lapse. And I, I drive past places, houses on Music Row that haven't changed, but the sign keeps changing through, through the years. Yeah. There are a few maybe that have stayed the same. Sony ATV tree maybe has stayed the same with the mirror out front so you don't have a wreck trying to turn and get out of the parking lot. That's uh, a poetic way of seeing things though is, is the time lapse. That's a beautiful like analogy for how the changes, you don't see them every day, but after a long time, it's different. Yes, I mean, BMI is still there. CSAC has moved, ASCAP built a new building. Um, and I've just, and every building though, has a story and when I drive down Music Row, uh, 16th, 17th or 18th Avenue, all of these memories and people flood back into my mind and uh, it's it's really crazy because it, it kind of mile marks my life yeah. and, and I'll think, okay, I was with that publisher in that house, wow, that house is still blue <laughs> or um, ASCAP, when they built the new building, I was I was dating a, an amazing man named John Gerard, who we used to co-write, and then we dated for a bit, and, and um, he wrote songs for Charlie Pride and the Forrester Sisters, all these songs that I loved when I moved to town, Alabama. Uh, he was blind, and uh, he rappelled down the ASCAP, side of the ASCAP building, <laughs> and and I, I can't go past the ASCAP building without picturing John coming down that ASCAP what? building. That's crazy. He was raising money. He did it as a charity to raise money for the School of the Blind. And um, he was just an amazing man. He's in heaven now. He, he died with diabetes. We did, he married someone and went on and had a beautiful life until, uh, until he died pretty young. But amazing songwriter, uh, real mentor. Uh, but uh, Music Row has changed. A lot of those people like that are gone, you know. Um, and there's, uh, and yet a lot of people are still around that and still making hits that were here when I moved to town. So it's such a, such a family affair in this town. You know, you kind of, I had a, a security question on one of my uh, uh, secret codes for some, you know, for passwords, code, bank, whatever, what my bank one, but it was another one. What street did you grow up on? And so I just said 16th Avenue, <laughs> you know, because that's where I learned and, and everybody, everybody did. And um, it's changed. The industry has changed in that it's beginning to spread out more. Um, it's changing in that it's, it feels like it's become a little more business-like. It used to feel like everybody knew what everybody was doing and everybody, you, you couldn't get away with anything. <laughs> lots of, lots of gossip. Everybody knew what was happening to everybody. Um, I get the idea that it's not as much that way. It's a little more spread out. Uh, we've had a lot more LA and New York move to town. 
when the Titans moved to town, things changed a lot because it's almost like the little big town became a bigger. Yeah. Got a little, the meter moved a little more toward the big. So there's a bit of that. Um, and that, and the thing that has changed the most, I think, is that the, the track writing. Yeah. The, the way the songs are, um, somehow the, the writing itself doesn't feel as organic. Um, it, it feels like it turned into, um, you know, how many songs you could write in a, in a day, you know, like write three songs in a day, or you, I'd be at a, one of the writer's nights I was at about three years ago, the guys were talking after the writer's night and I'd just done a, I came as a guest and did one song and, but these two guys were talking that had been on the show and they were, they were talking about the number of songs they'd written that week. And, but like that was more the goal than, than to write a song like of Christopherson ilk, you know? Um, and so it wasn't as much about the songs. It, it's like, it used to be the music business and now it feels like the music business. Yeah. It feels more, the scales feel tipped more that way. And it, it's still a talent about the song and the creativity, uh, you know, when in the circles I'm in with leadership music and these places, everyone cares about the songs, um, songs that change people's lives, like I Drive Your Truck, um, song, you know, these songs that have been uh, mile markers for people's lives. Um, it still matters. People are still paying attention, but it eh, doesn't feel quite as intimate, maybe something. Well, you, I've, I've heard a lot of people say how things come back around, you know, and yeah. I, I have heard lately that people are, are thinking maybe it's going to get a little more back to that. Do you think all things come back around and are we going to see something like that again? Or is there just no way of telling? I do think things come back around and I, in my opinion, uh, and perspective and experience, um, I'm, I think that it's about to come back around because, and I'm not saying that really from a business perspective because I've been a little bit out of the loop lately. Um, no, not too much, but I'm not going to music row and writing every day right now. So that's where I get a lot of my insight and information, but because of where the world is, um, I think this COVID thing, the, you know, the Trump era, stuff and the COVID stuff, it all just rattled everybody. Well, people need real music in times of pain. It's times of pain. It's been, everybody's been traumatized. Yeah. And when you're traumatized, like the whole world, we all have PTSD together right now. <laughs> Which you know? is kind of nice if we're all in it together. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And it makes you search for answers. It makes you say, okay, money can't fix this. And winning an award can't fix this. I need something that's going to help me sleep through the night. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where those songs from the heart come from. Yeah. And uh, it's like Dolly Parton uh, likes to say, um, uh, you know, in, in, there are no atheists in the, in the trenches during yeah. a war. Um, and and I think it's, we're kind of in that kind of place where the music has the opportunity and, and we, and I do think it, it will, I don't know that it will get as organic 
you know, I don't know that it's going to go back to Don Williams <laughs> and just acoustic quite that organic because our, we've got generations who are trained there. Right. Even neurologically, you know, our, the way our brain processes music and the way a society evolves into its musical sounds. I think, I think tracks and uh, the, the technology music is always going to reflect its culture and, and technology continues to, to move forward. So, but I think it, it, it will have a, maybe we need to coin a new phrase, you know, techno roots. <laughs> I, you know what, we, we don't know what's going to happen, I guess, but I do think you're right that something more organic is going to come back around and people just need songs to help them sleep at night. I think that's a beautiful way of saying it. And we have all been through so much this last year and none of us are immune. Uh, no, no pun intended. None of us are immune from that. We've all yeah. been through trauma. Um, yeah. But I, I feel optimistic, so I hope you feel optimistic. I, I really do, and and it's interesting how the the music does a hybrid thing. You know, the the music can become more organic just melodically. Yeah. You know, um, the melodies are getting really pretty again. From some, of the, I teach at the um, uh, directing a songwriting program at a university here in Nashville, Trevecca University, and. I notice my students uh, every semester. I get to see. I get a six-month checkup on where the musical ear is for the <laughs> for the kids coming up the ranks, and that's been a real treasure. And they are starting to write really pretty melodies, and the melodies have a landscape about them, have a have a contour about them that's becoming more emotional again. And whereas the chord structures, you know, the chord structures have not been very lush um in recent time, days <laughs> but i think some of that even is is coming back so even within the technology and those electronic sounds there can be an, an organicness within that um there's, there's got to be like a meeting in the middle of everything you know yeah so where the where the heart of that is because because that's what's going to speak to the hearts of new generations because they grew up with computers yeah so, looks like steel and metal to me or yeah. steel and plastic <laughs> is and the sounds of clicking keys is music to them is maybe you know what i'm saying it's just yeah but i grew up in the running barefoot through the fields <laughs> like the mccarters <laughs> so so i don't know it's just uh it's well, a question there's, there's got to be beauty in all of it. And I, I'm positive. I'm optimistic about the future of music right now. And we'll yeah. see what happens, I guess. But I did want to ask you too, what does it mean to you to be a woman in the music industry in Nashville? Um, it's had its challenges. Uh, and some of those challenges have carried on up to this day uh, with, and I suppose it turns me into a bit of a feminist you know, I mean, I think, and, and in a good way, yeah. I think that um, we have to continue to carry that banner. It seems to me that um, I felt like uh, for me personally, it was getting better for a little while. And then it seems like the, the it, it went backwards, maybe. Um, I, uh, being a woman in the industry for me personally, um, I was so I was so bent on wanting to be a great songwriter that it, it, and music was so um, um, 
uh, what's the word? Um, Non-gender specific. <laughs> you know, when I moved to town, I thought music is not one of those things. Like I thought of NFL football players as a, and that's a guy's job, and I'm cool with that. <laughs> um, but music seemed uh, like it wouldn't have any uh, gender specificity, and but it but it did. It it did early on, and I was trying to make myself the best songwriter I could be, and it wasn't. It didn't take long to realize that. I could get a little farther because I was cute and had a cute figure, you know, and, and, uh, I, I, mean, I was glad when I was younger, when people thought I was pretty, but, um, that wasn't what I, my, how I was thinking, you know, that wasn't what my, um, what my ambition was. And so you try to, you know, you try to use that as an asset. You try to look your best, you try to keep your figure, you try to whatever, but that, that I found to be sort of, um, it almost, there were times when it didn't seem like it mattered uh, quite the level of my talent or how smart I was. And, and that's not really just the music industry, that's kind of in life. Uh, I was turned down in a publishing deal one time because it was me and a guy were in the, in, they had it narrowed down, they could sign one writer, me or this other guy, and they very directly, specifically told me we're, we're signing the guy because he's a guy and has a family to support. That hurt because, and, and the guy, the publisher actually told me, he was honest with me. He said, he said, honestly, you're the better writer. And, uh, but we, the, the, the board met and we, you know, we're giving him the gig because he's a guy. And that was actually a Christian publishing deal, which made me, was part of the catalyst and another catalyst for me not going back to church for a while. <laughs> But um, that saddened me because I was, at the time, I was divorced. I, I had not, you know, I wasn't being supported. I was not an alimony kind of chick. I was on my own. And I said, well, I'm supporting my family with this. And he said, sorry, you'll find a husband. You're cute. And yeah. I've had a lot of things said like that to me when, uh, you know, I got to mentor with Paul Worley a bit on producing, which was a real honor. And I learned so much. So I got this producing gig um, because of that alliance, and I was in the studio one day. Uh, Paul wasn't there; he wasn't co-producing on the particular project, and uh, but it was just just me. And I walked in, and the uh, my someone else had hired the the drummer. Kind of long story, and they were all pros. They were all great. There had been other producers, but the guy walked out. Uh, I told him a drum part that I wanted him to play, and he went to my engineer and he said, "Do I have to listen to her? I mean, she's a chick producer." And he was not joking, and I thought he was, and I was gonna laugh, and he wasn't joking. And the engineer said, "She knows what she's talking about." And you know, drums are kind of my—I love drums. I wanted to be a drummer, you know. Yeah. And so he said, "Yeah, you have to listen to her. She's the reason you're getting paid for this." And so I've had a few key moments like that <laughs> where I had to decide not to get bitter. Yeah. Uh, I didn't go around telling the story a lot. I'm telling it now because it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It is what it is. And, you know, we have other benefits because we're women sometimes. Yes. You no, know? I mean, not sure exactly what they all are, but I'm sure. <laughs> well, 
I really, I really do appreciate you being open and honest. And I, I certainly didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm really glad that you shared that because, you know, I've had experiences like that and I don't openly talk about them because, you know, you don't want to make enemies in this town either. So no, no. You, keep, you keep it to yourself and you just try to carry on. But, you know, that story you shared about the publishing company is so interesting. And I spoke with somebody the other day and they said, they have been told numerous times, oh, we can't, we can't really talk to you about signing you right now. We just signed a girl. Well, would they ever say that about a man? You, it's so interesting, isn't it? It is that way. I've had artists. I had an artist who, a uh, friend who went to the radio station, promoter record. They said, we already, we already have two girls that we're playing right now, and we know we won't play your record. There's that. Um, but it's unlimited men, it seems like. They can play as many men as they want. Yes, they were only allowed to play two girls an hour, and for that, that was a pop artist, R&B, I was working with, and she, they were playing Sheryl Crow, and um, I forget who the other one was, but yeah, it, it's really, it really is hard, and we do need to speak up, and we do need to keep speaking up, and we do need to keep um, rallying together, yeah. and not, definitely not compete with one another, yeah. but support one another. And we do need to tell the truth about it, yeah. um, you know, and you don't want to, I've had, I've played shows where, oh, I've heard so many times, oh, you play guitar pretty good for a girl. Uh, that one, I never did appreciate that one too much. Yeah. And, um, or I've been to shows to play the show and they turned my guitar down and I was the one carrying the, the, <laughs> the, the rhythm, the kind of guiding the band with my rhythm playing. And I learned that I'd have to tell them, don't turn my guitar down. And they said, but you're a chick. You're a chick guitar player. And uh, usually they want, that's just a prop. And I said, well, oh, my gosh. So I learned when I was out on the road touring to tell them to have my guitar up louder. And then I, there were times when I couldn't have a, another guy guitar player on the stage with me because everybody from the audience thought it was the guy playing. And, and I really wanted to show off my guitar playing. I practiced a lot, you know. So there are a lot more stories as we get to talking, I think, that would... There's the issue of if a girl writes a guy's song for a guy act, they kind of can't hear through it, but the guy can write a song for the girls. Yeah. Uh, the girl can't sing the demo sometimes if she wants a guy cut. Now, I, there are other exceptions. You know, Tim McGraw cut my song um, because he was no he's always been notorious for listening to the female vocals because the songs have more um, uh, are more intimate and he knows he's smart enough to know that females are buying the records or they were on stats are now so that in that instance being female and singing my own vocal was beneficial to me well that's wonderful so you were on the demo tell us about that and that whole experience oh it was awesome it was awesome uh, it was an interesting, it's an interesting story um, as it panned out. I was, uh, I was writing for a company called King Lizard Music at the time, which was Liz Rose's um, company with Kingsley Brock. And Liz was my publisher and she said, I would like to learn how to write songs. And uh, we were good friends, at, we were close friends at the time. And so I said, well, come and write a song with me. She said, no, no, I can't do that. I'm not a writer really. I said, well, just come and write with me. So we started writing songs and she would bring titles and uh, she was not a musician. Uh, 
at the time and she but she had a real ear for a great song because she's a great publisher <laughs> and had listened to thousands and thousands of songs so you know we're that's part of writing so uh she and i started writing every week and we i came in one day and uh we were we i was playing on piano that day and i started playing this song uh, um, and uh, uh, I think I was in, I don't remember which song it was of all the songs we'd written. Does it say exactly how you feel? Right now you're free to say it all. There's no one here to judge you. Only love you. You're free to close your eyes and fall. And so that we started kind of with that because I think we were both, we were both either getting out of a relationship or into one at the time. So it was all this non-judgmental kind of ballad thing, and just a teacher. And, and we were learning that day how to how to write a song from from opening line down to a hook. So we, we ended up writing this whole song with. We got down to the end of a chorus, and we didn't have a title. And it seemed like we worked longer on the title than we did on the rest of the song. So it ended up being all, called All You Ever Find. Well, nobody the, the nobody wanted to much pitch the song because it wasn't very hooky. And I said, I just love this little song. I love this song. So I went over to Michelle Metzger's office. She was the A&R person for Tim McGraw at the time. And Liz, uh, went, uh, we continued to write, but she, you know, the, went on with King Lizard. I was still with King Lizard at the time. So I said, I'm going to go play this song for Michelle. So Liz said, go ahead, you do it. So I went over and I played the song for Michelle. She said, I love this. I think Tim would really like this. So the next thing I knew, we had a Tim McGraw cut. Wow. And, uh, and it was Liz's. Uh, uh, she and I got that cut. And Liz went and pitched another one we wrote. We wrote it. I was playing keyboard on that one, too, called um, uh, Harmless Heart. Liz pitched it for uh, Trisha Yearwood and said, um, uh, you can run, you can hide, love will still come to find you. You can turn it away, keep romancing your pain. You're the best at self-defense, I'd say. Master the art, but baby mine was a harmless heart. So I know that we wrote that one when we were both breaking up with somebody <laughs> and, and we wrote it and I was, um, each one of our co-writers, both of those co-writers had a little lesson instilled. So Liz, when she started getting all famous and I went off and did some other things for a little bit. And then when I came back here, she was a mega, mega songwriter <laughs> and she was going around doing talks and saying, uh, you know, she did one. I, she invited me to one of them, and she said, "Kim McLean taught me how to write." Yeah. And I said, and "So we started writing together again after a decade." And she said, "I said, Liz, you keep telling everybody I taught you how to write." I said, "You know, you you ended up you wrote with a lot of great people. You really were being taught by all of those people, and I and you're a great publisher, so you were being taught by listening." And um, and she said, "Yeah, but I didn't." co-write for the longest time until you went off doing your because i went back to get my education i had some other dreams and 
she said, I was so scared when you left to do that because I didn't have a co-writer. And it was, but serendipity, um, she said, I wouldn't have what I have today without you. And she, she thanked me. It was so sweet. But she also, because I left and went, left her without a co-writer, she went, you know, kind of, she, she started going around town. She went to this writer's night one night at the basement. And this little 15-year-old girl was there playing. And the 15-year-old girl couldn't get anybody to write, write with her. And Liz said, well, I don't have a co-writer anymore. I'll write with you. And it was Taylor Swift. Oh, my Lord. So, if, you know, Liz may not have what she had has without me, the stepping stone that I was to her. But I wouldn't have had what I had without the stepping stone she was to me and without the stepping stone Mark Sanders was to me and John Gerard and Woody Bomar. Uh, but if I hadn't stepped away, Liz wouldn't have been forced into that yeah. scary moment. Yeah. So it, that's what I love about this, this town and this industry, um, you know, because we all have our path and we become what and who we are and what we're meant to be. And, um, you know, Liz didn't know she was meant to be a mega writer like that. Actually, she, she said, you were about to have it all. And then you kind of went off and did this thing. And I said, and she said, it was meant for you to have all of this. And I said, if it were meant to be that, it would be that. And I'm very happy with who I am, and I'm very happy with what I have, and I'm very happy with with my own accomplishments. And it ain't over till it's over, you know. Amen. I think that's the most amazing thing about Nashville and the music business is you just never know what's going to happen next. And it's so yeah. overwhelming when you think about somebody you met five, ten years ago and your paths cross again. It's just the most mind blowing thing. It's like the butterfly effect in this town. You know, you take one step in this direction and this entire path has changed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I just a couple more questions. I, I feel like I could chat with you all day, but it's been a while. Um, what is next for you? That is a great segue. What is there anything else that you want to accomplish? Are you goal oriented or where is your heart? Yes, I'm very goal oriented. Um, I next I can see what's what's next. So we'll see if I'm in aligned with the universe, as they say. Uh, I've got a, um, uh, I'm doing a relaunch of my company. I let it kind of take a, a nap for a little bit so that I could reform it as my original kind of dream of what it is. I have a company called Hippie Chick Twang Media, HCT Media, and it's a, it's a music company, but it's a creative lifestyle company. So basically my company is all about this conversation of inspiring and helping songwriters. Uh, it's like a, a um, a boutique business um, uh, similar to with the same heart as your jamming and jammies. Uh, you know, I don't aspire to compete on Music Row, um, although I do hope it is a publishing company, the indie label, but it's, it's really designed to be, uh, my slogan is we are connecting creative people with creative power. Uh, but that power begins spiritually with hearing that voice that says, you know what, you're a songwriter. I, I love helping songwriters remember and hang on to that intrinsic value of the songwriting that that makes a great song happen. 
I love it when writers write hit songs, but I don't want to help them write a, write hit songs. I want to help them write great songs. And out of the great songs, many become hits. Yeah. You know, if, if a song blesses two people or, or two million people, yeah. it's done its job. And I've just never stopped thinking that way. Uh, so I've got, I'm, I'm going to, you can be on the lookout. I'm about, I haven't launched yet. You'll be seeing the publicity hopefully this year. Um, I've got a, a marketing uh, company I'm working with and some really exciting things in the works awesome. that are gonna, getting a makeover. It's getting a, getting a makeover and a, a fresh start. So I'm excited. Kim McLean, the artist, is uh, um, got a new project uh, in the works and that will uh, somehow be all paired up with that. And then some other artists that I'm working with doing a little bit of producing again and uh, still writing as always that just never goes away so um, you know HCT will connect pe creative people with creative power both uh, vertically with the universe with their soul inwardly but also with providing out uh, resources yeah. um, to network it's a creative community it's a creative collective yeah. uh, full of good creative people on on every level of the writing I'm working with some pros um, and some veterans in the music industry, as well as some up-and-coming amateurs. And I love working with people who let their dreams go years ago, who really want it back, you know? Yep. Uh, who meant to learn to play guitar when they were 15 and now they're 40. So I, I want to provide resources for them too. So I'm going to have tears. It's yeah. just kind of a, a creative go-to. This is just wonderful news. I mean, I'm such a fan of you as a writer and you as an artist, but I'm such a fan of you as a human and your heart. And, you know, you just, you, you speak in poems, by the way, and I just love the way you speak. <laughs> you're obviously just the most creative soul, but you're just so giving and passionate and loving too. And I just think it's wonderful. I mean, I, I hate to use the word underdog, but you know, you're kind of looking out for the underdog a little bit. And yeah. I am a huge fan of that because yeah. this, the world is tough and the industry is tougher and I just love it. I love to hear this. Yeah, that's well, I feel the same about you, Megan. And I just love being aligned with what you're doing and keeping up with what you're doing. So keep up the good work. So Thank good you. things are happening. You know what? I believe it. I believe it's going to be a good year. And on that note, do you, do you want to play us a song? You've played us some bits and pieces. You've been teasing us. I know. I know. Those are, those are probably... I always feel like everybody wants to hear the songs that had the, the business success. But if I may, I'm going to sing one of those arty songs. Please, anything. <laughs> and um, this is a personal favorite. When I play my own music to see if I like it too, you know, because you got to like what you do or nobody else is going to like it. This is a go-to song for me. It, it's totally a poem set to music, really. But it came to me with a melody. And it's a full circle song, and it's called Circles Around the Sun. Uh, it was inspired by um, uh, a poem by Rainer Maria Rilke that says, uh, uh, I've, I've been uh, circling the world. I've been circling the primordial tower since the beginning of time, and uh, I'm going to live my life in ever-widening circles. And I may not complete this last one, but I have to try. And I guess that's where I feel like I am. So I have done a recording of this. I'll release uh, hopefully soon. And um, so if you, if uh, um, so, it's it's got a lot of mysticism about it. 
But uh, so it can mean to you what you want it to mean. And this is called Circles Around the Sun. For me, it's about the search. If wishes were circles around the sun And all that has been it just now begun I'd chase the gold flame till the light had come And be the one who loves you When will I believe again? My dreams have all faded and God is dark. They drank up the tears of my broken heart. I emptied my soul to be where you are, to walk the salty ocean. When will I believe again? Is that going to be on your new project? Yes, it's been recorded. Jennifer McCarter's husband played, her son played. I actually recorded it uh, a little while back, but I've just been had it kind of in yeah. the can waiting. In the vault. That's uh, right. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so excited. I love your voice. I love your writing. You know what a big fan I am. Um, I'm going to just ask you one more question, if that's all right. Okay. You know, we've talked about so many things and yeah. a lot about just how, how this business has its challenges. Um, you know, and some people come to town and things take off really quickly and some people come and it takes a really long time. We've heard stories like this. Yes. What would you, especially this last year, I've seen a lot of people go home and maybe give up and it's understandable. It's been a tough time. Yeah. I guess my question is, what would you maybe say to someone with your big giant Kim Hart, um, who's maybe thinking about throwing in the towel, you know, any words of wisdom? Well, the, the best words of wisdom that were given to me, uh, John Gerard said, uh, first of all, keep, keep writing. Um, it's, it's your passion. If you do it from your heart, nothing can stop that. Nothing can take that away from you. If you had the courage to move here, there was something in you that knew that you had what it takes. Uh, the ones who make it are the ones who are tenacious, who don't, who don't quit, who don't give up. And there are going to be some dark days. It's part of it. Keep your expectation in your own heart, your own gift. Uh, don't put your expectation in the business. It doesn't owe you anything. But if you keep uh, writing for the reason that made you write to start with, learn all that you can, become the best you can be at the writing and at the business, you, you kind of can't fail. You might not become a mega millionaire, but you will succeed on some level. There is room for quite a few people. I mean, there's room for talent. I think there's room for all the talent. And if you, if you, uh, if you don't try, you are 100% guaranteed to fail. And if you do try, you might win. <laughs> so that was, that's the big secret that held me through on some really dark days, <laughs> you know. So um, do it for the joy and you kind of can't lose. I can't think of anything better you could have said. You're brilliant. Those are just the wisest <laughs> words. And I'm sure a lot of people needed to hear that. So yeah. uh, I really thank you for your time today and your insight and telling us your story and sharing your music and your heart. And we'll have to catch up again after HTC is live and your new album is out. I'd, I'd love to do it again. We'll get all lined up and we'll do a hip chick twang jamming and jammy show. We'll be some we'll hip chicks in some onesies. It'll be <laughs> we'll, wear, we'll get bell bottom pajamas. <laughs> perfect. We'll invent it. It'd be perfect. All right. Sounds good. So. Well, I love you. Be good and, and not good, not too good. You got to leave something for God to do. <laughs> I love it. I love you. You be safe out there. We'll see you soon. Okay, you too. Thanks, Megan. Bye. Bye.
What y'all trying to do? What y'all trying to do?